So far this Christmas season, we've talked about expectation, we've talked about preparation, we talked about proclamation. Last week, we led up to the, the Sunday right before Christmas, talking about fulfillment. And then these readings that we've been sharing this week that will push us into the year 2015 here in just a, a matter of days have been about anticipation. There's been a lot of anticipation around Christmas, always is. There's a lot of anticipation about anything that you look forward to. You may be looking forward to something with a sense of dread or a sense of, of, of good or of good things. Anticipation. The passage I've chosen to share with you this morning is one that I think leads us to anticipate the best in 2015. It's going to be found in the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you didn't bring one, there ought to be one in the pew rack in front of you, or you can always uh, depend upon the screens, for I'll have the, the passage written there as well. But I believe Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, teaches us how to, how to expect and how to anticipate the best that God has for us. The way I want to outline the verse is typical of... Uh, I guess the way I was brought up, I grew up in a church where the pastor always spoke in superlatives. And by that, I mean everything was the best. Everything was the greatest. Or if it was on the other end of the spectrum, it was the worst or it was the least. There was no middle ground with the pastor I grew up with. And it, it ingrained in my mind this idea of, well, that's the way it ought to be. It ought to be that, that what we do for God should be the greatest, that we have the opportunity to be the best because we serve the God who created everything out of nothing and who loves us and wants only the best for us. I think that this passage, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, talks about the greatest things that we could ever discover. So I want to speak to you in terms of superlatives this morning. That what we're reading is, in a sense, the greatest passage in the Bible. Why? Because it's the one we're reading today. The passage we look at tomorrow would be the greatest passage in the Bible. Why? Because it's the one I'm reading tomorrow. It ought to be that way. There's nothing wrong with living life where what you do is the best and what you do is the greatest. And so I offer to you today an outline of two verses falls right into place. These are easy to read verses. They break down grammatically just like they should. There's no difficulty in them. The words are not too hard to understand. There are a couple of nuances we'll talk about. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 simply gives us the greatest that we can anticipate for any time, but especially looking toward a new year. God's Word in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the tender mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The greatest. The greatest things are found 
in these two verses. I want you just simply to follow them with me. And let's consider what God will do for us if we will understand and know these greatest things in our lives. First and foremost, you'll notice in the outline of the way the scripture we're going to outline it today, there are four greatest things in this passage. The first one is the greatest sacrifice you and I will ever make. He says, I urge you by the tender mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here it is, folks. The greatest sacrifice we could ever make would be our lives. When Paul says, present your body, I don't think he necessarily means physically the body, but it includes that. He means your very life. A living sacrifice, it says. The background of any sacrificial system has always been an animal sacrifice, a dead animal, a lamb that was slain and offered as a burnt offering. Even in pagan culture during the first century, the sacrificial system was understood. The Jews weren't the only ones who practiced sacrifice, but it was always of something that was non-living. But here he says, we're to present our lives as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. If sacrifice means something given completely, if in a sense it means something dead, something that is offered, then what does it mean for it to be a living sacrifice? It's almost like they mutually exclude one another. It's his idea, a a groundbreaking idea, a, a play on words, if you will. There was one other living sacrifice I can think of in the Old Testament. It was the child named Isaac, Abraham's son. When he took him up on top of the mountain and God had commanded Abraham to take and to sacrifice Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And of course, Isaac's life was spared, but he was willing. He was willing to give his life. He was a living sacrifice. This living sacrifice is to be holy, the Scripture says. Holy means set apart. We misinterpret holy, and we talk about people being holy. We mean it usually in a derogatory sense. You're holier than thou, we might say. Or don't act so self-righteous and holy, we might say. But you go back to what the Bible means when it says God is holy. It means God is different. He is set apart from anyone and anything else. And our sacrifice, the Bible says, of our lives, a living sacrifice, is to be holy, set apart for God. We don't do what we do in serving God for ourselves. We do it set apart to be God's servant. And the Bible says this sacrifice is not only to be living, it's not only to be holy, but it says it's supposed to be acceptable or well-pleasing to God. You know, we think sometimes that we can do whatever we want and God will be pleased. Think again. We need to offer Him what? Our best. We need to offer Him that which is first. That's why giving is such an incredible, incredible way to grow in the Lord. That if you're giving and you're giving as you ought to give, you give that which you have in the first place. You don't wait to give God the leftovers. You don't wait until you see if you have enough left over to give as you ought to give to Him. 
But you give to him in such a way that the sacrifice of your life is acceptable to him. That is the greatest sacrifice we could ever make. Paul then moves on to tell us the greatest motivation to make this greatest sacrifice. If the greatest sacrifice is for you and me to give our lives in service to God, and I'm not talking about becoming a religious leader, talking about going into the ministry, that, that's, that has nothing to do with what this passage says. All of us who have put our faith in Christ are to give our lives in service to Him. That counts in your work. It counts in everything that you do. However you make your living, you can serve God by making the greatest sacrifice. But why would you do it? Paul says, I urge you by what? By the rules and regulations that are found in the Bible? No. He says, I urge you by the mercies of God. The only reason we could make the greatest sacrifice of our lives is because of the greatest motivation, which is the mercy of of God toward us. What does he mean? It all goes back to the first word in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, therefore. Because therefore grammatically relates back to chapters 1 through 11. And 1 through 11 in Romans is when he tells us why we need Jesus. Because we are lost and dead in our sin. We cannot save ourselves. You just follow his train of thought all the way through those first 11 chapters. And he defines for us what it means to be lost. And he defines for us what it means to find salvation in Christ. And then all of a sudden, we move into chapter 12 where he says, therefore, therefore looking back at what? At God's mercy, at his favor and his grace upon us. That's the only reason you and I could ever make the greatest sacrifice is the very mercy of God. What motivates you? If we're talking about the greatest motivation, you know, some people, and I'm talking about living and living their life, if they're trying to live an honest, God-fearing life, you might say, a lot of people base it upon rules and regulations, upon legalism. Is that what motivates you? Is it, is it just about uh, checking off the box? Is it just about making sure that you've done everything you were required to do? A lot of people live life that way. That's the way a lot of people uh, are, are geared toward work and in their profession, it's all performance-based and that spills naturally over into one's faith. But is that enough motivation to give your life in service to God? I don't think so because we can't keep all the rules. Some people are motivated by competition. I'm talking about in their spiritual walk. They're always comparing themselves to someone else. Comparing themselves to what someone else has. Comparing themselves to what someone else does. Comparing themselves, just lining up and seeing if they measure up. You compete against others and you can even compete with yourself. You see, what you did last week has got to what? You've got to outdo it today and especially tomorrow. You've always got to be doing something more. Is that what motivates you? Paul makes it very clear. The only thing that can motivate us is the mercy of God and our love for him. Nothing else will motivate us enough 
to give our lives in service. But he's not through. He talked about the greatest sacrifice, our lives. He talks about the greatest motivation to make that sacrifice, the mercy of God. Then he talks about the greatest threat, the greatest threat to you and to me. And it's in the second verse of Romans chapter 12. In, in short, it's simply to conform to the world. How does he put it? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let's take that phrase. Those, those two phrases there. Let's break them down here for just a moment. What's he talking about? He says, do not be conformed. It's a word for molded. To be pressed into a shape. If you're making something and creating something or doing pottery, you have a mold or you use your hands and the potter's wheel and you put it into the shape that you want it. That's the idea that Paul's talking about here. But he's talking about being conformed to this present world. He doesn't mean world as in universe. He means world as in the present age. It's a different word. You see, Paul was like a lot of people in his day and time. He saw himself as a follower of Jesus living in two realms. One realm was broken and corrupt, the present age. And the other he was looking and living in, was looking forward to its coming true ultimately when Jesus returns. And he says, do not be conformed to this present age. It's corrupt. But be transformed. I don't know if you've been keeping up with uh, the football, college bowls. Apparently there's a bowl every day, almost every hour during the holidays, which is great. But there's one game tomorrow night that means much to me because Arkansas is going to play Texas in a bowl game tomorrow night. And you go, so what? Well, I'll tell you why, so what? Because when you're from Arkansas, you remember the days of the Southwest Conference. You remember the days when the rivalry between Arkansas and Texas was at a fever pitch. And granted, Arkansas usually was on the losing end of many of those games. But we haven't played each other for years because we're in two different conferences. But tomorrow in the Texas Bowl, they're going to play. Arkansas Razorbacks are going to play the University of Texas Longhorns. Both of them, of these teams, are hopefully on an upturn. Now, I don't care what you think, but I think they're on an upturn. But they've got new coaches. University of Texas has a new coach this year. Do you know what his name is? No one knows what his name is? Charlie Strong. He came in, first thing he did, suspended nine players reinstituted a drug testing program and demanded that all of his players match up to a code of conduct or they weren't going to play for the University of Texas. Now, can you imagine the kind of pressure he came into that job feeling? How many people came up to him and told him, this is the way we do things at the University of Texas and this is how we've done it in the past and you better do this and you better do that and we're sick and tired of having a losing season and losing season means losing one game and you better get us back where we're supposed to be. No telling the pressure for him to conform to the expectations of everyone that was a part of the program. But apparently he didn't listen to all that. And instead of being conformed to 
the program as it used to be, he's launched out to do things that hopefully are going to turn it around. And I'm not saying everything in the past was bad. The Arkansas Razorbacks have a coach that's just finished his second season, Burt Belima. He came from a very successful program in Wisconsin in, in another conference. But the guy went through a 17-game losing streak that started season before last and continued to this midseason. But he turned them around to where they at least qualified to be in a bowl game. Now, can you imagine the kind of pressures he was introduced to when he arrived in Fayetteville? So you, don't, you, you people that aren't from Arkansas don't understand. Texas has all these other teams. The Razorbacks, Arkansas has no one but the Razorbacks. I mean, it's all focused upon them. No telling what he was told. No telling the kind of meetings he had. No telling where people were pushing him. And beyond it all, with both of those coaches, they were being told you either produce or you're out and you've got about what? One season to get it done? Lots of reasons to conform. But both of these gentlemen, both of these coaches, apparently, have instituted, broken the mold, brought in new ideas, brought in new ways of doing things, brought in and returned back to basics, however you want to put it. And I think that that ultimately will make them better teams. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, do not be conformed to this present age. You ever feel like your life's under pressure? You ever feel like people are trying to convince you to to do things in a way that you know is wrong or you feel down deep in your heart is not the direction you need to go, but the pressures are unending? That's what Paul's talking about. And that's why he calls it, I believe, the greatest threat to our commitment to make the greatest sacrifice. It's because when we conform to this world... We lose our witness. He then gives us the greatest discovery. You do all of this, all of these greatest things, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest motivation to make the greatest sacrifice, and the greatest threat is all based upon what? Achieving the greatest discovery, and that discovery is the will of God. He says, transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may what? You may prove what the will of God is. See, this is all heading us toward the greatest discovery ever, and that's God's will. I don't think there'd be anyone in this room who wouldn't raise their hand if I said, wouldn't you want to, to discover God's will in these days? I think every single one of us, we would, be, we would say, absolutely, yes, I want to discover God's will. I want to find God's will. But for many of us, finding God's will means that we pray and ask God to open a door or to close a door. There's nothing wrong with praying that. Or we pray, Lord, you know, show me the way. Nothing wrong with praying that. But what Paul says is, prove what the will of God is. And that word prove is a very unique word in the New Testament. And what it means is to discover and discern through testing. Which means that God's will may not come to you and to me on a platter. It may not come to you and to me in just a direction that he wants us to head. It may not come to you and me as choices between good, better, and best. 
or necessarily right and wrong. But it may come to us and we may discover God's will when we suffer, when we're troubled, when we don't know where to turn. The greatest discovery is finding God's will for your life. And finding God's will for your life involves proving it, discerning it through the tests of life that you and I endure. Are they going to be fun? No. But there's no other way I can see where that greatest discovery can be found. You notice he says, prove what the will of God is. And then he, just as he described the sacrifice as being living and holy and pleasing, he describes the will of God as being good and acceptable and perfect. Perfect doesn't mean sinless perfection. It's not something up there that we can't reach. best way to describe perfection here is completeness. And isn't that a great thing to think about discovery? That you're moving and heading in God's will, that you're walking in His way, that what you're doing is helping to complete who and what you were created to be. That's what Paul's talking about. So think about it. The greatest sacrifice your life, the greatest motivation to make that sacrifice, God's mercy. The greatest threat to that sacrifice, being conformed to this world, this age, and the greatest discovery, God's will. That leads us to the greatest benediction for 2015. This is what we're going to be doing beginning next Sunday. We're going to close out our service today with the benediction we've been using all year. It's from that book of Jude, that tiny little one-chapter letter. The book of Jude, verses 24 and 25, we close out with that benediction today. But next Sunday, the first Sunday of 2015, we pick up and we learn a new benediction. And that new benediction is Romans 12, 2. Some of you griped at me because you thought Jude was too hard to learn, okay? I listened. This one is a little easier to learn. It's going to be in my translation, the translation that I pick, which is the New American Standard Bible. If you don't like that, tough, because I'm the one that gets to pick the translation we use. And it'll be a good one. If you ever want to choose to use a benediction in your own translation, then it isn't going to happen here. Maybe it'll happen somewhere else. But Romans 12, 2, as we anticipate a new year, I can't think of a better benediction for every Sunday. And the whole purpose of it is to help you and me renew our minds. That's what he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You do it by putting God's Word in your heart, in your mind, in your life. So, let's practice here for a moment. Let's pretend it's next Sunday. And that closing benediction to lead us into a new year is going to remind us of the greatest discovery ever. It's on the screen, so let's say it together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Years ago, I... Uh, participated in a student camp. It wasn't our church. It was uh, long, long before I ever met any of you. 
But we spent the week, I think, if I remember right, the, the theme of the camp was based on Romans 12, 1 and 2, this, this whole idea. We spent the whole week trying to convince these students, young people, that were beginning their walks with Jesus to, to, to live discovering these greatest things. And so the, I remember the last evening, as part of our commitment before we went home, is we asked every person there uh, to take a piece of paper and to just write out what this living sacrifice meant to them. You know, if you're, they were going to make the greatest sacrifice and give their lives in service to God, what would that mean? And then we had all the kids bring them up and put them on the steps of the altar, much like this, in the room where we were meeting. We gathered them up when camp was over, and as we were gathering them up, I noticed one of them was an offering envelope like this. It's in the pew rack there. Apparently, one of the teenagers, one of the students that came to camp had tucked in his Bible an offering envelope from their church. And he had put his description of what a living sacrifice meant to him on a piece of paper and put it in this and laid it on the steps. I think he got it. Because what he was saying and what I remember he wrote in his note was that he, if he could, this always went in the offering plate. This always went in the giving box, if you will, is the way we do it here. And what he was saying is what God wanted from him was not an envelope just stuffed with money, put in a plate or in a giving box. But what God wanted was his life. So if he could theoretically climb up on that altar and be put in that offering plate, or if he could squeeze his life into a giving box as a reminder that what? That God wants my life. The greatest sacrifice, the greatest motivation, the greatest threat, the greatest discovery. Right here, within our reach for the grasping. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to sit before you, to open your word, to sing, to pray, to make choices. So, Father, our commitment to you today is that we would make that greatest sacrifice. Help us to do just that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We offer a hymn of commitment, a, a song of, of reflection is how we close out this hour. For it could well be that there is someone in this room and you have yet to cross over that line of faith to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life. All you know is you're lost. You don't know where to turn. And that's where God's Word comes in and tells us that Jesus came and lived and died that we might live. It's giving our lives to Him. It's following Him. I'll be standing down here. If I can help you, pray for you, receive you in any way, that's why I'm here. Could be that there are people here in this room and you know the Lord, just never told anyone. Profess your faith in Him. Tell us and then so tell the world. Just step out and come down. Maybe you've never experienced believer's baptism of your own choosing. It's an act of obedience. Maybe one you need to be clarified when you talk through it make sure you understand it but if you know in your heart of hearts that you need to follow through with that step of faith and obedience come tell me if joining our church is what you need to do i can't think of a better day to do it than the last sunday before a new year right before we turn a page 
Make your commitment to be a part of God's family by participating in the life of this, your church. How do you do that? Come forward to tell me. And then maybe it's all about what that living sacrifice, you know what it means, you know what it demands. What are you willing to make it and to commit? That's our invitation. We stand together, we sing, I'll wait for you right here.